good morning. It's good to be here today, and uh, I always count it an honor uh, to stand um, in a church pulpit and to preach the Word of God, and so um, it's good to see some familiar faces. I visited here once about a year ago. Um, I didn't preach, um, but I visited uh, my aunt um, and uncle, are uh, Maria, and Ra- Ma- uh, Maria and Ralph Mortolito, uh, and so if you know them, uh, you know my family, and so uh, they've been here... Uh, for a number of years, and uh, we're just praying for your church family. Uh, I know in the announcements uh, you're starting your your pulpit search, and so uh, I know what it's like as a pastor of a decade to look for a pastor of a church. Um, as the introduction said, I we started two churches in Hudson County. Uh, I really felt the Lord lead me to run for political office, and uh, we searched for a pastor for a year to take our church, and uh, we could not find one. Um, and that's not to discourage you. Uh, that's just to let you know uh, you better be praying. <laughs> you better be praying and remember that this is not your church. This is God's church, and he will supply uh, the man that's needed here uh, for this ministry to go forward. Uh, you know, I, I started to feel after about a year, um, I started to feel, and we were there and searching for a pastor, but uh, if you have been in New Jersey, Uh, for any length of time, you know that a lot of good people are moving out of state. And so a lot of Christians are moving out of state, a lot of pastors are retiring, um, and there's a lot of vacant pulpits uh, here in the Northeast, particularly in New Jersey. And as we were looking for a pastor, uh, I was told, "You're you're an urban church plant. You're a city church plant in a storefront church. Sorry, you're not gonna be very high on the list. But I'll tell you, you guys are in a, in a great spot here. Um, beautiful road frontage, beautiful building. Uh, congregation, auditorium is wonderful. And so uh, all of those things are in place. But I'll tell you, if it's not by prayer, 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 um, you know, it, it could be a very difficult situation. But uh, I trust uh, the leadership that is here, and we're looking forward to a good day. Uh, in the house of the Lord, and again, I'm just honored uh, to be here. So in your Bibles, if you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, 1 Samuel chapter 17, I'm glad to have my wife Jennifer uh, with me today. Uh, our uh, kids are uh, attending the church that uh, we attend when I'm not out preaching, and so uh, as the intro uh, said, I'm the spokesman for Project 29.2. It's a new preaching ministry, God and Country Ministry, and so I'm preaching all over the state, um, and uh, my kids are at Somerset um, Bible Baptist this morning. Our daughter is a sophomore at uh, Pensacola Christian, so she's, she's down in Florida, and so we're all scattered all over the place today, but glad to know uh, that even though we're not with them right now, um, our kids are serving the Lord, and they're in church this morning, and uh, again, that comes by much prayer, and so... First uh, Samuel chapter 17, uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 26, First Samuel 17, verse number 26, a familiar passage of scripture, uh, and as we begin reading, you'll, you'll know the story uh, here that we're talking about. First Samuel 17, verse number 26, and David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and take away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him, 
And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And at the end of verse number 29, we see that phrase and that question asked, Is there not a cause? As you read the Bible and you see a question that is asked, what is it very natural to do? Read the next verse and find the answer. But when you read the next verse, you see that the answer is not there. You read the verse after that and the verse after that and the verse after that, and you can continue through chapter number 17, and you'll realize that the question is not answered. Why? Well, we know as Jesus, who was the master at asking questions, he was not asking questions to get an answer. He was asking a question which was rhetorical in order for the hearer of the question to have their heart revealed. And that's what the Lord did. The Lord was the master at asking questions, and the Lord Jesus Christ is all-knowing, so he wasn't asking questions for answers. He was asking rhetorical questions so that the hearer of the question, their heart would be revealed to them. And so as you see this question asked, it says, is there not a cause? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is obviously, of course, yes. There is a cause worth fighting for. Well, what's the cause? Well, that's a great question. I'm so glad that you asked it this morning. There is a cause, but we have to go to the verses prior to figure out what is the cause worth fighting for. And that's the title of the message this morning, A Cause Worth Fighting For. You could turn on the TV for just 30 seconds and know that our culture is in deep, deep trouble. We can admit and, and not take political sides. And as the intro said, I, I ran for office. This is not a political message, but we can see our culture is in turmoil. And if the faith community does not in, get engaged in this battle uh, and understand, what are we fighting for? Are we fighting for a political party? No, we're not. We are fighting for things that we're going to see in this message. There is a cause worth fighting for. And I just pray it would be a help to you today as we look into the scriptures and answer this rhetorical question, is there not a cause? Let's pray and then we'll get into the message this morning. Lord, we thank you for this time. I thank you for these dear people. I thank you for this church and this ministry and uh, the lighthouse that it's been in this community for so many years. God, I pray that you'd help us today as we consider the scriptures and a cause worth fighting for. God, I pray that you'd be with my mind and my mouth. May I say the things that you desire me to say. And Lord, I pray that if it should not be said, I pray it would never even enter into my, into my mind, Lord, because if it goes in my mind, it's going to come out of my mouth, and I want to be a help today. Lord, I pray that you'd use this message. May the Spirit of God make application in each and every heart of those that are here. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. A cause worth fighting for. We're going to see here, number one, a cause worth fighting for is people. 
people are worth fighting for. If you look back in chapter uh, number uh, uh, 17, uh, verse number 1, it says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were gathered together at Shokoth, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shokoth and Azekah uh, 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 and Ephes Demim. And watch this, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. There are people that are worth fighting for. It says in verse number two that Saul was there, the king of Israel. Uh, it says the men of Israel were gathered together. Uh, in verse number 13, uh, if you skip down, it says, And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. The people are worth fighting for. David said, Is there not a cause? It's a rhetorical question, yes. People are worth fighting fighting for. Saul was there. The men of Israel were there. Uh, uh, His three older brothers were there. Let me tell you something today, church. People are worth fighting for. Fellow Christians are worth fighting for. I I would broaden it even further, given the culture of America in 2023. uh, The faith community as a whole is worth fighting for. They are coming for the faith community Generally speaking, they may not agree with us on all the doctrines. I understand that. I'm a pastor. Uh, uh, I started two independent Baptist church. I know my doctrine. I know what I believe and I know why I believe it. But I'll tell you something. I would die fighting for somebody uh, to believe something that was wrong. Because you know what? That's how our nation was founded. For religious liberties. And our founding fathers had the, the position. I would die for the right to you, for you to be able to believe something that is wrong. We've lost that in America today. We've lost that fight, that cause, that religious liberties in our America is something that has made our nation great. People of faith are under attack. Christians are under attack. Make no mistake about it. As you consider uh, this new bill that came out and uh, it's been signed and it's the uh, uh, Equality in Marriage Act. And you wonder, it's just a couple months ago, you wonder, why would we have a bill like that? Why would that become a a new law? It's already legal to have same-sex marriage in America. What is the purpose of that? Why would we have done this new law? And I'll tell you the reason why there was this new law is because in the new law, what it did is it tied a marriage between two people that are of the same sex. It tied it back to civil rights. And there's already Supreme Court precedent that says you could lose your tax-exempt status if you violate civil rights uh, uh, in a ministry. You could violate that, and you would lose your tax-exempt status because that's not what the Bible's about. To, To preach the gospel, this is not about race. This is about Christ. And we are all equal... At the foot of the cross, the gospel transcends social status. The gospel transcends uh, uh, race. The gospel transcends gender. The gospel transcends all of that. But there's already a precedent that has tied. So what have they done? They've already built their case to be able to come after ministries, churches, the faith community that says marriage should be between one man and one woman. Let me tell you something. The faith community is worth fighting for. The unborn are worth fighting for. 
We ought to be able to speak for those that cannot speak for themselves. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? I am so glad that uh, there was an overturning of uh, uh, Roe v. Wade at the Supreme Court. Why? Because life is a biblical issue. Unfortunately, in our culture today, it's also become a political issue. So, so ch- many churches are afraid to even talk about it. But we ought to talk about it because it's in the Bible. Jeremiah gave testimony that before uh, he was even born, the Lord said, uh, before I formed thee in the womb, I knew you and I called you to be a preacher. Before you were ever formed in the womb, there is personhood in the womb. The Bible says that Mary was with child. It doesn't say she was pregnant. It says she was with a child. That is a child in the womb. And if Christians do not fight for a cause, we're going to end up losing the the foundation in which our nation was established, Judeo-Christian values. Is there not a cause? Yes, there is. People are a cause worth fighting for. Christians, the faith community as a whole, the unborn. How about the next generation? The next generation is worth fighting for. I have four children, and we have made that commitment to, to make sure that they were in a good place, that they would not be under attack. Whatever that means for you with uh, children's education, you pray about it. And you do what you need to do to make sure that the next generation is not just thrown to the wolves. We need to make sure that we're fighting for the next generation. We need to be teaching them in the home these biblical principles. Our four kids, they're far from perfect. They're far from perfect. But as I said, uh, we've got four kids and they're all in church this morning by God's grace. And we need to battle for that. Let me tell you something. You know that the world and the devil is coming for your children. You know that. And your grandchildren and your nieces and nephews. Uh, why are they going after the kids? Well, because I'm a stubborn, stubborn 47-year-old. I know what I believe. I know why I believe it. They're not going to change my mind. And they're not going to change your mind. But they're going to go after the minds and hearts of those that aren't yet established in what they believe. And they're going to confuse them and come after them. We ought to fight for them. We ought to fight for the faith community. We ought to fight for the unborn. We ought to fight for the next generation. Why? Is there not a cause? Absolutely there are. People are worth fighting for. Number two, a cause worth fighting for is our possessions. Our possessions are worth fighting for. Back there in verse number one, it says, Now the Philistines were uh, uh, gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together in Sokol, which belongeth to Judah. Who did it belong to? It belonged to Judah. Skip down. It says, And Saul and the men of uh, Israel were gathered together and pitched uh, by the valley of Elah and set a battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. We see the possession that's worth fighting for. This is Israel's land. This is Israel's land. It's basically due west and just a little south of Jerusalem. I have been to this place. I, by God's grace, I've been to the Valley uh, Elah, and I've stood where this is, where that, the brook was right there, where David went and got those stones. We've been there. It's a 30-minute bus ride from the heart of Israel in Jerusalem. 30 minutes. And, and here, the Philistines are encamped there. This was Israel's land. It was their possession, and it was worth fighting for we ought not just to give it away listen christian uh we have possessions that are worth fighting for too 
Our homes are worth fighting for. Our marriages uh, are worth fighting for. The home structure, the, the family is the foundational building block of any civilization. And I'm sad to remind you of the statistics that the divorce rate in the church is just about equal to the world. Our homes are worth fighting for. Our marriages are worth fighting for. Uh, as we already said, the next generation, that would be the children in the home. We cannot give up our possession. Children are a heritage to the, of the Lord, the Bible tells us in Psalm 127. They're God's. But God has entrusted us with our homes, our, our families, our marriages, our children. And we ought to steward them for righteousness. Our businesses are worth fighting for. We shouldn't just turn them over to somebody when they say, shut it down. You might think, well, that was a big deal. That'll never happen again. <laughs> never say never. Never say never. One third of all New Jersey small businesses closed their doors permanently three years ago. And let me tell you something, we should not just give away what God has entrusted with us, our homes, our businesses, our, our, our uh, 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 employment in certain areas. How are we supposed to feed our families? It's worth fighting for. God has given you some level of gift, talent, and ability to do what you do to provide for your family. You shouldn't just give it away. God has blessed you with that. America is worth fighting for. Our state is worth fighting for. I've said many times as we see this trend of our, uh, our culture going the way that it's going and, and the battle that we have that we're fighting for, I've had some pastors tell me, hey, if they close our churches down, whatever, we'll just, we'll just have home church. We'll just go underground. We'll just be an underground Christian community. I've said to them, I don't want to do that. If I wanted to start churches in communism, I would have started churches in Hong Kong, not Hoboken. I don't want to be a Chinese Christian. I want to be an American Christian. And I want to preserve and fight for the possessions that we have in this country, and we should not just give them away. People have died for us to have the right to do what we're doing this Sunday morning. Lights on, parking lot open, sign out front. Maybe you're live streaming. You, you, this message could be going out to the public. And we don't have to worry about the government right now coming in and shutting us down and hauling us all off to prison. Let me tell you something. You ought to fight for that right. You ought to fight to preserve that right that is given to us by God. And we should not just give it away. There's a cause worth fighting for. People are worth fighting for. Our possessions are worth fighting for. Number three... A cause worth fighting for is righteousness. Friend, righteousness is worth fighting for. Look there in verse number 8. Verse number 8. It says, And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me, if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then ye shall be our servants and serve us. 
And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, uh, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Do you understand the battle there? I mean, Goliath laid it out. He said, this is not about me versus him. This is not about us versus you. This is a battle of ownership, of service. Could you imagine the nation of Israel becoming the servants of the Philistines? The wicked Philistines that God's people would serve unrighteousness? This was not a mano a mano thing. This was not man against man. The Bible tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in high places. This was a spiritual battle. This was a battle for righteousness. Hey, if he kills me, we'll serve you. But if I kill him, God's people, you're going to serve us. This was a really big deal. This is a cause worth fighting for. The challenge by the Philistine was to serve them. And David heard this. In verse number 22, it says, And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brother. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and he spake, the same words, watch this, and David heard them. David knew what was at stake. David knew that there was a cause worth fighting for. Whom will ye serve? That's what this was over. This was a battle of righteousness. Did you know that almost every product we purchase uh, is either manufactured or distributed uh, by those that fund unrighteousness? We better be very, very careful. There are groups out there that show us uh, uh, where we can spend our money, where they are not funding deliberately the enemies uh, of people of God. Do you know there's enemies of people of God? I mean, we know that. Why would we put our money into the retailer's hands that are then going to fund our enemies? Because of convenience? Because we like the way it tastes? Where is the line, Christian, where we know that we're in a spiritual battle? And the, the enemy is coming for you, coming for your marriage, coming for your children, coming for your home, coming for your church, coming for the pastor, coming for the ministry. They are coming for the foundations of America. And if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We know that. And then we write them a check, and say, well, I got to eat somewhere. Tastes good. It's closer to my house. We're in a real battle. And there is a battle for righteousness. Who's in power? The righteous or the unrighteous? I'll tell you this. <laughs> the person who's in charge is the person who wins the battle. To the victor goes the spoils. Whoever wins is in charge. Now, I understand, eternally speaking, those of you that have trusted Christ as your personal Savior, eternally, I get it, we win. But we're not there yet. We're here, 
And God has called us to be salt and light. We're not to just have our Christianity inside these four walls. Our Christianity is to be uh, an impact on the community around us. Why? Because righteousness is at stake. And we cannot just roll over and surrender. The Bible says in Proverbs 29.2, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Whoever wins the battle, that's who's in charge. And we know from Proverbs, that's what's happening. As the intro said, we started a new ministry called Project 29.2. It's right from this verse. Proverbs 29.2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Did you know in America, we have the blessed opportunity to decide who our authorities are? We get to decide that. It's called voting, by the way, in case you didn't know. We get to decide who our authorities are. And the Christian community, the faith community as a whole, better wake up and understand that if we do not engage and understand that there's a cause worth fighting for, we're going to lose everything. We're going to lose everything. And this building will be turned into housing. The storefront that we had in North Bergen, that'll turn back into a barber shop. If we lose this battle for righteousness, we know that they're coming after everything that we stand for in the scriptures. The Bible says in Proverbs 11, verse number 10, when it goeth well with the, uh, uh, when it goeth well with the righteous, the city rejoiceth, and when the wicked perish, there is shouting. When the wicked perish, there is shouting. I'll tell you, I shouted amen when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. I shouted amen to that. Because that is a, a wicked ruling that is now gone. Do you know there are churches around the state and around the country, they would not dare mention that ruling from a pulpit on a Sunday. They wouldn't dare mention it because they think it's political. Although churches and faith communities for the last almost 50 years have been praying and fasting for that to be overturned. And then when it does, dead silence. No, when the wicked perish, there is shouting. Amen that unborn babies will not be federally uh, 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 funded to lose their lives in the womb. Goes back to the states. Okay, and I get it. <laughs> We're in New Jersey. We're in one of those states that still practices that. I get it. But that doesn't mean the fight stops. The battle for righteousness is still before us. Righteousness in government. Righteousness in government, as I said, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Look at Genesis chapter number 9. Genesis chapter number 9. In Genesis chapter number 9, there's a commandment that was given to Noah as he came off the ark. And in Genesis chapter number 9, in verse number 6, it says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For the image of God made he man. A lot of people skip over that verse. That's a really big deal. That is, the, that is the start of government right there in Genesis chapter number 9, verse 6. God instituted government. You know what he's talking about in that verse? If a man sheds man's blood, 
by man's hands, his blood will be shed. That's capital punishment. That is not vigilante justice, okay? Everybody behave yourselves. That's not vigilante justice, okay? The government has that right to execute judgment on those that take another person's life. Why? Because man was created in God's image. That's what it tells us right there. God created government. If God created government, who do you think he wants to steward it? His people. His people. Look there in Exodus chapter number 18. Exodus chapter number 18. In this passage of Scripture, uh, we know that uh, uh, Jethro uh, is giving, uh, that's Moses' father-in-law, Jethro is giving Moses some, some help in how to rule and govern the people. And in Exodus chapter uh, number 18, he's telling him that uh, in verse 17, this is too big of a job for you. You can't do this alone. You need to find people to help you serve and govern a few million people. And what did he do? He gave him parameters. He says there, uh, in verse 21, he says, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. Did you know there's biblical requirements to serve in, in authority? God gives us four requirements right there. Who should be our leaders? Well, able men, people that are capable. Start... Start thinking in your mind about some of, our, some of our leaders and compare them to the biblical requirements. They need to be, first of all, capable, such as fear God. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh for two. Uh, such as fear God. Men of truth. What is truth? Thy word is truth. People that believe the Bible. It says, uh, hating covetousness. Oh, my. How many of our people that are in government check all four of those boxes? I will tell you, almost, almost none. And so that's why we see what we see. There's no righteousness in our government. But who created government? Who created government? God did in Genesis 9. God created government. And, he, and he's telling us who should steward it. And he gives us four bullet points right there of who should, should, should steward it. And place them to be rulers over, watch this, thousands, and rulers of hundreds, and rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Huh. Sounds a little bit like our federal government, our state government, our county government, and our municipal government. Did you know that Exodus 18, verse 21, is the verse that our founding fathers used to set up our form of government? Did you know that? They were God-fearing people. And they used this verse and said, hey, if it was good enough for God's people in Exodus, it's good enough for God's people in America. And they used that verse to show us the parameters for who should serve in government and at all different levels, federal, state, county, and municipal. And if that was true, if we actually believed the Bible and we actually obeyed the Bible, do you know who'd be stewarding our government right now? God's people would be. What a joy that would be. What a joy that would be if righteousness uh, was in authority in our country. That's what's the cause worth fighting for, righteousness. 
righteousness and government. Did you know that if we obeyed and believed Genesis 9 and we obeyed and believed Exodus 18, do you know what passage of Scripture would read much different? Glad you asked. Turn to Romans chapter number 13. Romans chapter number 13. And when you look at Romans chapter number 13, in light of what we just learned and what we just studied about who created government and who should be running the government, let's read Romans 13, and it'll probably read much differently than what we've read it in the past. Verse, thir- uh, verse 1 of Romans chapter 13, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, that's government. For there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. Well, amen to that. We just learned that, Genesis and Exodus. Verse number two, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinances of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. But you know what? Because we're not obeying those Old Testament scriptures that we looked at, we, we look in Romans 13, and we say, well, wait a minute. People that are doing good aren't receiving praise. People that are doing good are getting the punishment. And the people that are doing evil, they're being rewarded. Well, that's because we've lost that battle. Thus far, the battle's not over. But friends, we're, we're fighting for righteousness. We're fighting for righteousness in our, in our country here according to the scriptures. Verse number four. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. Whoa. Are you telling me, and I won't even put any of their names on it. You let your mind and heart put names on it. You're telling me that blank is a minister of God because of Romans 13? I submit to you, no way are they the minister of God. They are God-hating, they are God-opposing people that stand for unrighteousness, but they are now in authority. And when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. There is nothing in the scriptures that tells us that we ought to obey a wicked, God-hating government. And I could give you a bunch of scriptures to back it up. We won't turn to any of them, but the midwives of Egypt were told to drown all the babies in the river. The midwives didn't listen. And what happened? They floated Moses right down that river into, their mother, into his mother's arms. You know, Rahab was threatened by the, the king of Jericho. Where are those spies? Oh. That was, that was war. And she didn't submit to the king of, of uh, Jericho. And what happened? God destroyed Jericho except for Rahab's house, spared her and blessed her. And if you read the New Testament, she's in the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. She's in the the lineage there. What a blessing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, bow down and worship. Nope, we're not doing it. Well, then you're going to go in the fiery furnace. So be it. Our God can spare us. He is capable of sparing us from the furnace of fire. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to obey. The apostles were commanded, New Testament, do not preach and teach in the name of Jesus. (laughs) And the next day they were found in the temple preaching in Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the very next verse after that is Acts chapter 6, verse 1. And God blessed them and added to the church. 
Listen, we don't submit to a wicked government, but we are in fact going to have a wicked government if we do not understand that there are things that are worth fighting for, people are worth fighting for, our possessions are worth fighting for, righteousness is worth fighting for. Number four, the cause worth fighting for sometimes is the fight itself. Why do we fight? Well, I don't know, because it's on my doorstep. That's why it's there. Verse number 32, uh, back in our text in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32 says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Uh, thy servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. He was right there. He was right in front of them, and no man was willing to fight. The fight was before them, and it was not going away. Verse 16 says that the Philistine came forward morning and evening, morning and night for 40 days. Listen, I am an advocate for the Second Amendment, okay? But I don't run around to all the grocery stores showing people guns, okay? You go to jail for stuff like that, so don't do that. But I'll tell you this, if I hear my front door get kicked in at 3 a.m. and footsteps coming up the stairs, it's going to be on like Donkey Kong, I'll tell you that right now, okay? Why? Because the fight isn't in the grocery store, the fight is in my foyer, okay? And there is a time for us to engage in a fight. The Bible tells us in the New Testament, we should get along with all people as much as possible, but sometimes it just goes too far. Sometimes the fight is in your foyer. It's in your home. It's in your church. It's in your business. It's in your marriage. It's in your government. It is in your face. And it's not going anywhere. What's the cause worth fighting for? The fight. I don't want to fight. But it's here. What am I going to do? Just roll over and let somebody injure me. And once the strong man's out of the way... What does the Bible say? Takes the whole house. My wife and kids are in deep, deep trouble if I'm not there. So what do I need to do? I need to confront the battle. I need to step up and fight. Why? Because I like to fight? No. Because the fight has come to me. Sometimes the cause to fight is simply because there's a fight to be fought. The nation of Israel did not start it. They were not the instigators, but the fight was in fact there, and sometimes our lack of confronting our enemies allows them to gain positions over us. It's a very simple military truth that it is harder to uproot an, ev uh, an enemy that has position than it is to hold them off. Either way, there's going to be a confrontation. You know what's easier? holding the enemy off than it is to retreat, let them gain new position, and now we got to go uproot them and get them out. You're going to fight either way. You might as well meet them at the door and don't let them get position. I remember growing up, I have one older sister. She's uh, uh, three years older than me, and, you know, older sister, younger brother, she used to, you know, wrestle me and she used to beat me up, okay? Let's just, let's just be honest, okay? And what she would do is she'd actually get me on the ground, and she'd, she'd get me on my back on the ground, and then she'd kneel on my arms. And then she would, I'm not going to do it on the pulpit, but she would drool, and then, and drool, and that's disgusting. I don't even know if I should give that illustration from the pulpit. And one time, no, she lost it. 
right, just disgusting. That's what I had to deal with. Aww, right, and no sympathy in this crowd. I love it, okay. <laughs> That's what I had to deal with. But there came a point that even though she was three years older than me, there came a point when I was now 10, 11, and, you know, that whole male-female thing, <laughs> it's okay to say, that whole male and female thing began to balance out, and now I was stronger. And you know what would happen? My father would say, we don't hit girls. We don't wrestle girls. I'm like, what? I was 10 years I've been waiting for this, 11 years, and now there's rules? Yeah, there were rules. And when mom and dad were around, there was no fighting when mom and dad were around. But my parents, if they would go out, we'd hear that garage door closing, and we would just look at each other, and we knew what was up. And my sister had one spot that was safe, her bedroom. And I knew that if she got to her room and closed and locked the door, she was it. She was in, and I, I couldn't get her. So that was it. We'd break for the stairs. She'd go one way. I'd go the other. She'd be going up the stairs. Sometimes I'd get her, you know, get, get her going up the stairs, and, you know, then I was kneeling on her and, you know, whatever. Sometimes she'd make it to the, to the bedroom door and get the door closed and locked. And sometimes right in the middle would happen. I wouldn't get her on the stairs she wouldn't make it all the way to the bedroom, but she'd get to the bedroom and she'd close the door. And right before the door would close, I'd put my foot right at the jam. Stop. <laughs> Got her, right? Because my foot's in the door. And she could push on that door as hard as she, and you know, some of you are smiling, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. My foot's in the door. She cannot close the door on the jam because I'm just standing there and she's pushing with all her might and I'm just standing there. And as she starts to get tired, all I have to do is wiggle my knee in, and then my thigh, and then my hip, and I'm in. And you know what? That's what the devil does in our lives. Give no place to the devil, the Bible says. Don't let him get his big fat foot in the door. Because I'll tell you, once he gets the foot in the door, you're in deep trouble. And yeah, we know that the Spirit of God is, that's in us is greater than he that is in the world, but I'll tell you, it is a fight that we don't have to fight if we resist him early. The Bible says he will flee. Give no place to the devil. What's the cause we're fighting for? The fight. The fight itself. We're not starting it. We're not instigating it, but it is in fact here. And we cannot do nothing. We know the famous quote by Edmund Burke. He said, the only thing for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Nothing. Do something. Do something. Be involved in your church. Be involved in soul winning. Be involved in vacuuming. Be involved in setting up the chairs. Be involved in music. Be in, be, do something for the house of God. Do something to make your home strong. Do something. What do you need to do? Whatever it is, do a little bit more. Climb the ladder, just one rung at a time. What do you need to do to make sure that our government is righteous? Hey, first rung, register to vote <laughs> and vote Bible. That's it. Find a candidate that aligns with the Bible and vote for him. That's it. If you're already doing that, climb the ladder. Do one thing more. If you're already doing that, go one step more. Every day we should be considering where we're going to take the battle to the enemy because quite honestly, he has brought it to us. And as we close, number five, 
a cause worth fighting for, it will be empowered by God. It will be empowered by God. Verse number 33, and Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Very encouraging, Saul. Thank you so much. Look down in verse number 37. Uh, David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with thee. (laughs) God better. Why? Well, because David was just a youth and Goliath was a man of war from his youth. God prepares and empowers us for the fight. And we would do well as Christians if we spoke more often about the battles that God has already empowered us to fight and to win. The lion, the bear, he already trusted God. God already empowered him for previous battles. And listen, if you're sitting here today, I could take a a reasonable guess that God has empowered you in some fight in your life somewhere along the way. Because if not, you wouldn't be here today. The devil would have taken you out. You'd not be in church on a beautiful Sunday morning like this. You'd be out for a walk. Maybe you'd be sleeping in and getting ready for buffalo wings and football. I don't know. But you certainly wouldn't be here. So God has empowered you to overcome some trials and tribulations and battles in your life. Because you're living and breathing and you're sitting in a church today listening to the preaching of the word of God. God is so good. And we ought to remember those victories that he's given us along the way. We need to remember how the Lord has fought for us in times past because that grows our faith. Verse 38 and 39 says, And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put on his helmet of brass, and uh, on his head also armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded uh, his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go. Why? For he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off. Every person's battle is personal. I am not telling you to fight the battles that I am fighting. You're not prepared to do it. And I'll tell you, I'm not going to fight the battles that you have to fight. You know why? Because I'm not prepared to do it. But God will empower each individual as he sees fit to go fight whatever battle. Let me tell you something. Just look around. You have about a hundred battles that you could go fight right now. Start praying. God, which one? Because I'll tell you, you can't do all hundred. You can't do it. I, I've tried. You can't do it, okay? You can't do all 100 battles at once. So pray and say, Lord, which one can I be involved in? Which one can I, can I get engaged in to help for righteousness sake? Do not do what I did. I'm not telling anybody to put their name on a ballot. Because if God has not led you to do that, you will get crushed. Spiritually, not at the polls. Like, they will come for you, and you will not be able to handle it, and you'll be in a fight you're not prepared for, and it will hurt you spiritually. There's a battle worth fighting for. And let me just encourage you today. It's personal. And God will help you do what you need to do about having the right armor is so important. You don't need to turn to Galatians chapter 6, 10 through 13. Jot it down. You know the passage of Scripture. The armor of God, you have to have it. David said, 
in our text in 1 Samuel 17, verse 29, is there not a cause? No answer in the verses following. You know why? It was a rhetorical question. There is a cause worth fighting for. And I pray that as we looked forward in the chapter, we see that people, uh, uh, property, righteousness, the fight itself will all be empowered by God if we will do it his way. And let me keep the main thing the main thing. The number one battle that each and every one of us should be involved in, you don't even have to pray about this one, is the battle for the souls of men and women and children. Sharing the gospel with people. This is a message about our culture and being involved and our homes and our families and our businesses and the government. Like, it, I understand that, but make no mistake, friend, the number one battle that we have to be involved in is soul winning. Telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we could win every earthly battle, but if our friends and neighbors, our extended family die and go to an eternal hell, we've lost. We've lost. Let's not win battles and lose wars. And the number one war that we want to win is the battle for souls of men and women. You hand out gospel tracts. Do you, do, you, do you share the gospel? Do you share your faith with people? Listen, uh, the Bible has two different things that it talks about. It talks about soul winning, taking a Bible and leading a person through you know, whatever verses your church teaches you, you know, we use the Romans road to show somebody their lost condition for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. For the wages of sin is death. Yes, because of your sin, one day you will physically die, but that's not the death it's talking about. Revelation chapter 20 says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's what Romans 6.23 is talking about. For the wages of sin is death, eternal hell. Do you tell people that in love? You're a sinner. You're going to die and go to hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Are you involved in soul winning? You might say, Pastor Rizzo, I don't know those Bible verses. I don't know. I don't know if I'm a soul winner. Fine. Identifying the problem is the first step to correcting it. That's fine. But you could be a witness. You don't have to know one single Bible verse to be a witness. What is a witness? A witness is somebody that just explains what they saw and heard and experienced. If there was an accident out here, you know, I get the vantage point of looking out the window. If I hear, I could be a witness. I don't know anybody's names. I don't know where anybody lives, but I could say, I saw the one car, he swerved, he hit the brakes, they both turned, they took out the church sign, they crashed into each other, and the guy got, like, I could say what I saw and heard and experienced. You don't have to know one Bible verse to be a witness. Witnessing and soul winning. Climb the ladder. Be involved in the fight that you don't have to pray about. Why? Because it was given by command, the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Teach them what? The gospel. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things. What things? All things. The rest of this. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Are you engaged in the fight? Listen, there's a cause worth fighting for. And it's just my prayer that you'd be encouraged 
and challenged by a Bible message today that says, the enemy is real, he is coming, he is worth opposing, he is worth fighting against. Why? Because quite honestly, I don't know when the rapture is going to happen. You know, there's this idea that we're supposed to just, hold on, how much worse could it get? We're all out of here soon. Maybe. Maybe before we even partake. First Sunday of the month, before we partake of the Lord's Supper. We may be out of here before that. Praise the Lord. I'm, sign me up, right? But it doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to happen. Well, we're going to be spared from judgment. Why? Why? The rapture is not for us. <laughs> the rapture starts the tribulation, which is for Israel. The American church, we think the rapture is for us. God's going to get us out of here and spare us. Maybe, maybe not. And even if he does, the rapture is not for us. The rapture is for Israel, that all Israel would be saved and understand who their Messiah is. Daniel's 70th week, it's a whole other sermon. We're not going there. The point is this. Don't sit in your fort waving the white flag, waiting for Christ to come rescue you. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But you're commanded to occupy till he comes. We don't submit. Why? Because there's a cause worth fighting for. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the truth of the scriptures that we can read about David, someone who, earthly speaking, was unprepared for a battle. Yet, Lord, you empowered him because there was a cause worth fighting for. His brothers were there. The king was there. The other men of Israel were there. The Philistines had occupied their possession, their land. Lord, righteousness was in that battle. Who will serve who? And Lord, the battle was in front of them and it wasn't going anywhere. They had to fight because the fight was in their land, on their property. But God, we thank you that you help us and you empower us through it. God, I pray for each one who's here today. Lord, if anybody is out of, outside of salvation in Christ alone, Lord, I pray that today they'd understand the gospel as we presented it at the end and that the Spirit of God would make application and they would be saved. And for the Christian, Lord, whatever their level of involvement, Lord, I pray that they'd climb that ladder, that they'd move forward in their Christian life, in their involvement for the battle for souls in the, of, of men and women and this battle for our country. Lord, I pray that you'd bless now the invitation in Jesus' name.